listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is a very special episode of Lighthearted. A couple of days ago, on January 25th, we reached a milestone with our 100th episode. Actually, we've done 110 episodes, if you count all the special editions. That's 110 episodes since June 3rd, 2019, or about 1.3 episodes per week. So far, we've produced approximately 4,400 minutes of content, or more than 73 hours. And we've had just about 40,000 downloads of the podcast from 51 states or territories and 75 foreign countries. In the special edition, we're going to listen to some highlights from interviews and past episodes. We're also going to give you something that absolutely nobody has asked for, lighthearted bloopers. As regular listeners know, almost all of the episodes have been co-hosted by Michelle Jewell Shaw and or Cindy Johnson. Let's kick off the show with some clips of Cindy's finest moments. Since then, she's worked as a magazine writer, web writer just totally got me. Hmm. It's worth a look. What did you think of it, Cindy? I enjoyed the... (laughs) 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 Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse consists of a... a In addition to covering the lighthouse history of Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse... uh, You added an extra lighthouse there. You said in addition to covering the lighthouse history, which I guess is okay, but... I did? (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure? Now we're going to have our second installment of photography... (laughs) To learn more... That was like the weirdest, like... See? I did it again. It's like a weird... At first, lanterns were hoisted to the top of two masts on a. Trying to figure out what I was going to say after that, and I was like, totally just (laughs) nothing. I mean, I got nothing. I wrote a question mark down Uh uh because I was like, uh. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Hello! Uh. Oh man. Stonington, Connecticut, close to the Rhode Island border, boasts many beautiful Whoa, 18 I'm sorry. Sydney, what? It did. <laughs> oh, it did. <laughs> what? Quezon. 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 No. Quezon. 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 <laughs> Blooper reel. Quezon. Um, Henlopen? 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 It's like. I find that whether I'm greeting visitors at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle during our Sunday open houses and other events, or checking in guests at the front desk at the Exeter Inn, uh... <laughs> I don't know you're what I'm a, saying. You're on a roll there for a while. I was. Weird Skype sound things. I might have oh. to use that in the gag reel, what you just did. <laughs> That's funny. Matapoiset. Matapoiset? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Rad Rob. Rad Rob. Rad Rob. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. Wait, what? I've said Matapoiset enough now. I got it. <laughs> 
All right. Oh, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes. What does this mean? <laughs> uh, that doesn't explain it. That's not enough. <laughs> uh, seems like you're leading to some. I'm leading to something. I just there. didn't get there. Oh, jeez. We'll hear more bloopers later. In preparation for this episode, I asked both Michelle and Cindy three questions. I sprung this on them as a surprise, and they had no time to prepare answers. The first question was, what is your favorite lighthouse? I should mention that both Cindy and Michelle are very active, as I am, with Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, which is a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. We take care of two lighthouses, Portsmouth Harbor in New Hampshire and Whaleback Lighthouse in Kittering, Maine. Here's Michelle answering the first question. So, Michelle, I have three questions for you. So I hope you have your number two pencil sharpened and ready to go here. I actually Uh, do. It's a Dixon Ticonderoga. Wow, that's the best kind. (laughs) It is. Okay. But actually, I'm going to throw a curveball at you and make this an oral uh, test instead. So you can put, put your pencil aside for now. Okay. Okay. Question number one. What's your favorite lighthouse? Portsmouth Harbor Light. Any anything you'd like to add to that? Why is it your favorite lighthouse? Because it's it's become like my my home. In a normal year, it has become a second home to me. And all of the people that I've met there, you, Cindy, everybody, all of, you know, the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse's family, it's become a home to me. That's nice. And I concur <laughs> with everything you said. So that's yeah. That's great. I completely uh, understand. We'll hear more of Michelle and Cindy's responses to my questions shortly. Now I'd like to go back over some of the highlights from the episodes we've done. One of my favorite things about the podcast is that I've had the opportunity to interview several actual lighthouse keepers. As most of you probably know, all lighthouses in the United States and most in the world have been automated, meaning that traditional lighthouse keeping is a thing of the past. I think it's very important that we record the memories of lighthouse keepers because they've done very important work devoted to safe navigation for so long and also because life at lighthouses is a fascinating subject. I'm going to start with a clip that's actually a preview of a two-part interview that's coming up next Monday and Wednesday. This is Richard Cummins, a former lighthouse keeper in Ireland. Being a lighthouse keeper was more like a vocation, uh, not a job. The only downside I would think was automation. I wish it had never happened. I got to work in all these architectural masterpieces like the fastness and located in some of the most remote and beautiful parts of the Irish landscape. I got to fly in helicopters out to these places, which is fantastic. I got paid basically to live my dreams and I loved every minute of it and I'd go back to it today if I could. Another really fun and interesting interview was with Ian Duff, a former lightkeeper in Scotland, for episode 79. I just I just loved it. As I, as I said earlier on, I mean, I loved being at Skerryvore. Uh, my light just being my hobby. I loved, as I say, you, at Skerryvore in the wintertime, you could stand at the, down at the door, which is 30 feet up off the rock. You know, you have to climb up 30 feet off the rocks to get in the entrance door. You'd stand there and watch the sea for two hours at a time, breaking, you know, over your head at the door, jump back in, and then you go up for your coffee at 11 o'clock in the kitchen, <laughs> and then go back down, because there was very little work to do at a place like Skerryvore. You could spend hours watching the sea, and then, as I said, in a summer's morning, you'd up switching the light off, and you could look down and 
to see all the seals lying there. I just loved every minute of it. Canada still has more than 50 staffed light stations. For episode 73, I interviewed Karen Zacharuk, who is currently the keeper at Cape Beale in British Columbia. What have you enjoyed most about your years as a lighthouse keeper? Oh, I would say just, uh, you know, being able, the opportunity to work in such a beautiful place, uh, being closely connected with nature and, you know, where the weather and the tides basically determine what you do for the day, <laughs> being part of a Coast Guard family, uh, in a sense, because we're always working closely with, the, you know, the Coast Guard pilots and ships and lifeboats and uh, radio crew and the storm watching. Um, we've had, you know, the biggest seas I've ever seen were a few years ago. We had 63-foot surf on an 11-foot tide, and, and I've seen water spouts, just, you know, beautiful sunsets. It's Every day is different, so it, it's uh, I, I like that, uh, the variability and, and just how, you know, everything's, everything's changing all the time. Fred Mickelson was a Coast Guard keeper at Kinemicut Lighthouse in Rhode Island in the late 1950s. When you look back on your days as a lighthouse keeper, would you do it over again if you could? Oh, definitely, definitely. It was it was a, a, a lesson in so lessons in so many things about myself, uh, the difference between loneliness and solitude, a chance to uh, use my imagination and to learn that I could do just about anything that I wanted to if I did a little research and I may not have done it very well but I could do it to my own satisfaction it was really the time that I went from boy to man and uh, and I appreciate that opportunity Jim Pope was a keeper in the late 50s and early 60s at Whaleback Lighthouse a wave-swept granite tower off Kittery Maine would you be a lighthouse keeper again if you could do it over again? Yeah, I would. I would. It would it'd be nice to have a little more room than walking around in a circle for for four, three or four years. You know, like a, what was it, 16 feet, 18 feet at the most on the inside? And you was always climbing up and down, up and down. Everything was up and down, 70 feet. But you did it. I did it. Well, it seems like you're you're proud of the that period of. Hey, I've done things nobody will ever do in the world again. That's how I feel. How many guys can say they was a lighthouse keeper? How many guys can run a tugboat for 25 years? There was a two-part interview with Sally Snowman in episodes 29 and 30. Sally is currently the only official lighthouse keeper in the United States at Boston Light, the oldest light station in the country. When my dad was the Commodore for the Auxiliary uh, in, in 1960 and 61, he arranged for a rendezvous at Boston Light. So uh, we went out there, anchored the boat, rode onto the beach, stepped out of the dinghy, looked up at the tower and said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to get married here. I was 10 years old. And in 1994, that happened. Jay and I got married out there. Uh-huh. And so uh, growing up in Boston Harbor and taking cruises around the harbor all the time, one of the pleasure cruises we do is we go and see Boston Light, Gray's Light, go down to Minus Light. Boston Light was always my favorite. I always had visions of what it was like to 
grow up at Little Booster Island. In 1960, the children came off the island, so I wasn't even aware that at one time families were there. Uh, it, but it just, uh, that whole romantic lighthouse keeping piece, what would it be like to be a lighthouse keeper's wife or daughter? Now it's time for another segment of Lighthearted Bloopers, this time with co-host Michelle Jewell Shaw. A massive hurricane. Hurricane. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to everyone everywhere who works to preserve lighthouses of or any his on the Italian island of San Pietro with the lighthouses. She's visited many lighthouses. Features photographs of the most picturesque lighthouses in the world, along with tests. Tests. Yep, tests. <laughs> Was Antonio Colombo. Uncle. <laughs> Uncle, yes, okay. One of the keepers of the lighthouses. Oh, yep, I'm just struggling today. <laughs> it's okay. We're almost there. One of the keepers of the lighthouses. <laughs> just take a take a deep breath. And... Yep, I'm gonna take a sip of water and. Yeah, just forget all that happened. Brown Island Light. <laughs> Session musicians. That's a little hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> Session musicians. <laughs> <laughs> um. The promontory known as Admiralty Lighthouse. Blah, blah, yep. <laughs> Daniel Pearson, keeper begin. Blah, blah, let me do that again. All right. Her 17 year old sister. F- sister. <laughs> <laughs> the Chance Brothers and Company Glassworks began working. The Chance Brothers also became involved in the production of prefabricated cast iron lighthouse tire. If you listen to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Podcasts. Yep. <laughs> After graduating from Ithaca College with a degree in Simina, Simina, the last lace, lace keepers. Yep, the last lace keepers. <laughs> Another one of my favorite things is the interviews I've done with authors. Episodes 96 and 97 had a two-part interview with Australian author Diane Wolfer, whose 2009 book Lighthouse Girl was about Faye Howe, a keeper's daughter at Breaksea Island off Western Australia during World War I. Just the very fact of lighthouses and where they are and what the, what the nature of the keepers, what they do, is heroic and special. So I think Faye adds to that long list of incredible women who've been involved in, in lighthouse keeping. And as her mother wasn't there, she would have been really instrumental in helping her father and the other keeper, and not just with the domestic duties, which of course she did, but also with signalling to ships as they came in. Albany was the first point of Australia for shipping. So if you've come from you know, India or Europe, Albany's the first place you get to. And so there was a lot of interest in which ships were coming in, which was then relayed across Australia. So I think it's just that she was an ordinary woman. I think that's what's so special. She was just an ordinary girl who was there at an extraordinary moment in time and witnessed that, but also witnessed it with such youthful, joyous exuberance. The very first episode of Lighthearted featured an interview with another Australian author, Sophie Blackall. Her 2018 book, Hello Lighthouse, won the Caldecott Medal as the year's most distinguished American picture book for children. I asked her, what is it about lighthouses that makes so many people interested in them? I have now asked this question all over the world. I've done uh, a whole lot of 
school visits mostly talking to children with this book. And and I'm I'm curious too, what is it about lighthouses? And I've had as many answers as you can imagine as as people have all sorts of reasons. Um and they range from those that I share that lighthouses are majestic and romantic and compelling. But one child said to me what I have come to think of as, as one of the best definitions of a lighthouse. And he said, they're like helpful castles in the sea, which sums up both the, the, the beauty of the form, the structure itself, and also the, the purpose that they serve, which is this steadfast guidance. For episode 23, I interviewed Chris Mills, who has written books about lighthouse keeping in Canada and is also a former keeper himself. Why should people care about these places? People should care on a number of levels because our country, our respective countries were built on safe navigation. It was extremely important. Lighthouses such as Sambro at the entrance to Halifax Harbour in Nova Scotia guided immigrant ships into Halifax into the New World, from whence they went to the States and to Toronto and to Vancouver and wherever else in the rest of the country. So they've kept our mariners safe. They've guided new people to our countries. They're part of the very bedrock and foundation of our countries because in the, in the sense that, I mean, your, your, your first lighthouse, of course, predates your union as, a, as a, your independence. And, and so does ours, uh, Lewisburg, 1733-34. But they really laid the foundation for the, the settlement and the growth and development of our countries. And they're just neat places to see. They're gorgeous. It doesn't matter why you enjoy a lighthouse. If you like the scenery, if your father was a lightkeeper, if your cousin was a lightkeeper, if you just like the place, if, if something special happened, if you got married at a lighthouse, if your husband proposed to you or vice versa, they're special places on many levels. And as such, they're iconic. I know that's an overused word, but they've got, they've got to be saved as many as we can. Author Eric J. Dolan was interviewed for episode 26. Eric is an award-winning author whose recent book, Brilliant Beacons, is probably the best overall look at American lighthouse history ever published. I'm absolutely amazed and totally impressed by the work that people have done to save and protect these historical icons, these sentinels of the coast. I visited a lot more lighthouses after I wrote the book than I did before I had written the book. And I was always incredibly impressed at the small and sometimes quite sizable museums that are associated with lighthouses, the very dedicated people who work there, volunteer their time, and also work at the lighthouses. I really was uh, blown away by the drive and determination of these people to not let an important part of our history go by the wayside. Shauna Riddell, an author in New Zealand, wrote a recent book called Guiding Lights about women at lighthouses in several countries. I asked what was her favorite part about working on the book. Speaking Broadly, my favorite part is just the opportunity to travel remotely, um, especially this year when we, many of us don't have the opportunity to travel. And I just love learning about new places and reading specific details, you know, because history books can be quite dry with a lot of facts and figures. And I certainly have those in my book too. But just what I'm interested in is, you know, what did it feel like to live in those places and to work there and and raise families and um, and to save lives. And so really my favorite part was just learning more about these particular women. So I'd, I'd heard about Ida Lewis and I'd heard of Mary Bennett, 
but to really get the opportunity to dig deeper, I suppose, was my favorite part. I call it the rabbit hole of research because, mm -hmm. you know, you could do it forever and yeah. you never quite know what direction it's going to take you in. For episode 85, I interviewed Anna Maria Mariotti, an author in Italy. One of her books was The World's Greatest Lighthouses, which featured photos and history of lighthouses around the world. I like more the ancient lighthouses because they tell you something that is no more existing. And they give me a sensation. When I go to the Genoa lighthouse, I don't tell to everybody this. <laughs> when I go to the, the Genoa lighthouse, and I've been there many, many times, I gave lectures inside, I presented books, I went there many, many times. And um, I feel like um, if the lighthouse was telling me something. <laughs> yes, this is strange. Okay, now let's listen to co-host Cindy Johnson's answer to my first of three questions. Okay, and now it's time for three. <laughs> now Sorry. It's, that's okay. Now it's time for three questions with Cindy Johnson. So, Cindy, <laughs> you all set? This is going to be an oral test, and this will go in your permanent record. So oh, boy. I hope you're, hope you're ready. <laughs> Okay, number one, what's your favorite lighthouse? Oh my goodness. I just have to say the first one that came to mind, which is Portsmouth Harbor Light. Yep, that's a good choice. Anything you want to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just obviously Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse will always have a special place in my heart. But I'm also a really big fan of the Nubble, Southern Maine, especially during the holidays when it when they light it up for they light it up for Christmas, but also um, Christmas in July. Yep. So I, I also really love the Nubble. Mm -hmm. Some of the interviews on Lighthearted have been about subjects that are a little unusual and don't fit into the usual categories. In two different episodes, we've focused on the Flying Santa, a tradition that goes back to 1929 with the dropping of presents from a plane to show appreciation to lighthouse keepers. The flights continue today with helicopter flights to Coast Guard stations. Friends of Flying Santa President Brian Taig was featured in episode 35. The primary purpose of the flights is to show appreciation for the Coast Guard families. I think it's an underappreciated branch of the military. They do an awful lot with very little, and they don't get much recognition for what they do. And, and I've gotten to be friends with a lot of these folks over the years, and you know these men and women, whether they're on cutters that are gone for three months or at boat stations for you know, two days on and uh, two days off. It's it's a it's a tough family experience because you're you could be moving from Massachusetts to Oregon to Florida to Texas, and uh, you know they don't always have family around for the holidays. So to be here in New England and be able to look forward to the Flying Santa event and know that Santa is coming to your mother or father's Coast Guard station because you're special and we're showing appreciation for it and. You know, Flying Santa is uh, is looking out for these Coast Guard families, and um, we're happy to do it. And it's uh, it's we've been told it's one of the uh, biggest morale events of the year for the Coast Guard families, and we're up to 1,200 Coast Guard kids from every Coast Guard unit from the Canadian border down to Long Island, New York. A special edition this past December 16th had an interview with Dolly Bicknell, daughter of the longtime Flying Santa and popular historian Edward Rowe Snow. What would happen is we'd take off, and when we got near the lighthouse, we would start to descend, and we'd circle once or twice to let the people know that we were there, because he didn't want to hit anybody. 
people were pretty excited about the fact that this was going to happen and they wanted to make sure they saw where the packages went. He didn't want anybody, didn't want anybody there. And then as we were down close enough, when the pilot was where he wanted him to be, he would open up the window and balance it on his head. I would hand him or somebody would hand him the correct package because sometimes he actually wrote the the lighthouse on it because he might have known somebody that um, he wanted to drop something special for. And then he would drop it out. All I can say, it sounded like mm-hmm. when he did it, because it would just get sucked out. And then he would lean out of the plane to see where it went. Then he'd do it again, because there were usually once or, or sometimes he'd do two packages at once, but it depended on how big the, um, the island was. Another out-of-the-ordinary interview was with Gary Shredzinski for episode 46. Gary is a musician in Kittery, Maine. He swims all year round in the local waters, and he's done some long winter swims to raise money for local charities. In 2011, he swam for a few miles in 38-degree water to raise money for Whaleback Lighthouse. I remember just going and going and going and looking at Grandma Whaleback. She was like a grandmother. Come on, Gary. Come on, Gary. And I, I, you know, and you swim. What you do is you swim and you work. You're going to work. You're in a cubicle. That's the way I see it. I'm gone. I'm at work. I'm at a cubicle. I'm not overexerting myself. I'm not going to under. You you do it to preserve your energy and fuel. You're timing it out. And I and I always take a peek up. I've never had an experience where I felt like a physical structure had some type of soul or spirit, but. Boy, she was alive, and she was a an elderly woman whale back, but yet not elderly in the sense of arthritis. So she was very bold, very strong, very wise, and she was warm. That feeling. I've been by that lighthouse a million times in a boat. You cannot compare that with being in the water. Now it's time to hear co-host Michelle Jewell Shaw's answer to my second of three questions. The question was, with everything that's going on in the world, why should people care about lighthouses? Because it is something to give everybody some hope and light that, you know, lighthouses have been around for hundreds of years. And that just shows with dedication, these things can last in the lighthouses. They stay strong and persevere through bad weather and storms and everything that mother nature can throw at them. And they're still there standing strong. So I would like to hope that they can show people that we can do the same. Let's go ahead and listen to Cindy Johnson's answer to the same question. So question number two, with everything that's going on in the world, why should people care about lighthouses? Mm, Okay. Well, honestly, 2020 was such a tough year for so many reasons, but there's always a lot of things going on in the world. So I think it's, I think it's always important to preserve history and kind of do what we're trying to do for lighthouses, regardless of what, what's going on in the, in the world. Um, in addition to the fact that because of the pandemic, so many little nonprofit organizations were struggling so much because of the uh, impact on tourism. I think it's important any year to to work on preserving history and, and these structures because otherwise they won't they they won't be here for future generations. And I guess even more so in 2020. Not every show has been about lighthouses. 
The U.S. Lifesaving Service and the old Lighthouse Service both eventually became part of the Coast Guard, and both lighthouses and lifesaving stations were built for the same reason, to save life and property. So it seemed appropriate to explore this subject in episode 32. Sam Reed has spearheaded an amazing restoration of the Wood Island Lifesaving Station in Kittery, Maine. I grew up in this area. I, I really was in school in Boston area, but I was here, um, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter. And uh, as a boy, uh, would get in boats and go explore the island, and the old building was crumbling, and the windows were gone, and the doors were gone, and the vandals had come through. And then the pigeons and the, you know, the asbestos was everywhere. So I, it was a, a creepy old beautiful thing covered in poison ivy, neglected. And so as a boy, I would go there and explore and climb around. And as a young man uh, with other friends, we would, we would fantasize about someday restoring it and, and seeing it come back to its glory. And we started to learn about what it was. And as an adult... Uh, the, the town of Kittery, which owns the island and owns the building, um, kind of gave us the chance. And that, coincidentally, Jeremy, it was 10 years ago, I think next week, uh, early October 2009, that an article was published in the Portsmouth Herald that spoke about demolishing Wood Island Station. And so it was the starting gun, so to speak, to where we are today, 10 years later. We've also covered the subject of lightships in a few episodes. Greg Krausick of the Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society talked about life on board the lightship Chesapeake in episode 31. When foggy weather would roll in, the ship's air-operated foghorn would be turned on. It was extremely loud, um, so the crewmen really could not sleep or, or function much um, mm. anywhere in the ship. But what would happen is that ships would be homing in on the direction-finding signal, and it would bring them extremely close to the light ship, so close that they would be topside, normally with their life jackets on, and a ship would come right out of the fog 50 feet away mm. and go right by them and almost hit the ship. Wow. Um, and... You know, talking to the crew, you would love to hear that that was an isolated incident, but as it turned out, it was um, a very frequent incident, which is why they all wore their life jackets, and even at night, they would sleep or try to sleep topside when the foghorn was on. Wow. In episode 65, I interviewed Sam McKillop. He's the project administrator for Tamara, the organization that owns the North Car Lightship, the only remaining light vessel in Scotland. The history around the vessel is, is very interesting, but it's the team, it's the North Car team that I've really enjoyed working with. Uh, it, it's a mixed bag. We've got uh, ex-Royal uh, Navy. We've got people that are professional photographers, people that run printing companies, uh, people that work for the prison service. We've got a real mixed bag, surveyors, uh, other marine engineers, and it, it's been a, a very challenging place to work. And the way that the individuals have come together and thought through the problems and come up with solutions has been very, very good. Bob Menino of the United States Lightship Museum, owners of the Nantucket Lightship LV-112, was interviewed for episode 92. So we really 
saved a, a very famous ship. And I'd have to say it's probably the most historic lightship in the world and one of the more historic light lighthouses, uh, floating lighthouses in the world. This ship has just, it's guided some of the most famous ships in the world. The lightship was also considered and nicknamed the Statue of Liberty of the Sea because Nantucket Shoals lightship was the first U.S. landmark encountered by ships coming in from Europe. Before they came onto the American shores, they uh, they encountered Nantucket Lightship. It performed a really great function, and it also helped save a lot of lives. And the crew members that served on it were, were real heroes, too, and helped save a lot of lives. So, you know, it's nice to be working on a ship that helped uh, help guide uh, commerce into our country and, and, and save lives. In some episodes, we've discussed the many things the U.S. Lighthouse Society does to support lighthouse preservation. Back in episode 17, I interviewed Chris Brooks, who's one of the volunteers who lead international tours for the Society. I'd like to set out to try and create tours of a lifetime. And so often it's the combination of what you plan, a very good planning, but then it's the people you meet along the way and the things that happen. Who would know on the Scottish tour that the terrible weather we started off with made our trip so much better by pushing us fast in the first few days, which meant we could add three or four more lighthouses that were not on the original plan. It's the, the accidental thing sometimes along the way, and it's the people you meet. The U.S. Lighthouse Society's passport program provides a fun way for people to keep track of their lighthouse adventures by having their booklets stamped at lighthouses that they visit. I interviewed several people for episodes 55 and 56, a two-parter on the passport program. This is John McFarland, one of the top passport stamp collectors. But the neatest thing for me as an educator is to see now, as I go from lighthouse to lighthouse, young people there with their passport books, looking to get you know through their first to get their first patch for their first full year book or their second book or whatever. You're you're only as strong as your newest members when it comes to organizations, and to have the young people out there starting to do that, that means that they're building up a history that when they get older, might they might come back and be docents or might be part of a committee or do fundraisers. For them, I think it's cool because it's it's computer-oriented. Everything's on a computer, so they can go on there. They can log in their stuff. They can see what things they need. They can, they can actually look me up and see what I have and what I don't have. And they're very much more computer-oriented than myself. So I get a kick out of seeing them coming to the challenges in New Jersey and Maryland, and they've got their books, and they're running around trying to get their stamps. Earlier, we listened to some bloopers featuring co-hosts Michelle Jewelshaw and Cindy Johnson. You're probably wondering, does Jeremy ever make any mistakes? Here's your answer. For connoisseurs of low blood, low bludget, <laughs> low bludgeon horror flicks. <laughs> yes, I've known Mike for a few years because we've done some lighthouse. All right. Yeah. You said lighthouse instead of lighthouses. Did I? Yes. I didn't. Yes. I wouldn't make it up. You said 1864? I did? Yes. Really? This is episode 86 of Lighthearted, slated for October 26th. <laughs> <laughs> this is October 26th, 2020. 26th. Originally had a birdcage-style lantern holding a system... Bl- <laughs> with the gradual evolution from sail vessels to seam... <laughs> with the grad... <laughs> The town grew into a thriving port known for its ship. 
Go to uslhs.org to read about all the blah, blah, blah. That owns, maintains, and operates infrastructure. In, Let's listen to... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, as always, to all the volunteers, members, and staff of the United States Lighthouse Society. Well, I'm reading your part. <laughs> and on this date in 1928, Alexander Fleming noticed a bacteria-killing mold growing in his laboratory and Ooh. discovered... You said, oh, and then I lost my. <laughs> I'm sorry. Composure. No, I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. I thought you were stopping me because I because uh, bro- I no. broke up or something. No, I'm and sorry. And you were just saying, ooh. Yeah, at the mold bacteria killing mold growing mold in his laboratory. Growing his laboratory. Ooh. <laughs> so I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And I no, made no, myself no. laugh too. So. Uh, yeah. No, that's okay. Um. All right. Wait. Um. Boy, I, I need. I need a new secretary. I'm going to hire a team of writers to help me yeah. out. All right. <laughs> Keep a good light until we meet again. I like it. If there's one thing that's at the heart of what Lighthearted is all about, it's the people and organizations that are working so tirelessly to preserve our lighthouses and their history. Here's Catherine Bumpus, Executive Director of the Friends of Nobska Light on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, in a clip from Episode 4. Well, I think Nobska is a, a wonderful place, and it's certainly dear to my heart, mm-hmm. and I hope that it is dear to other people's hearts. And But I know that lighthouses, your own personal lighthouse or your the one that is, is special to you matters too. So be involved and volunteer and support them if you can, because they all need communities to keep them going. During a trip to Florida in May 2019, I interviewed Rick Kane for episode 14. Rick is the director of museum services for the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum. It's just been incredible, the experience here. But there are people people travel all over to lighthouses. I think it's because they're symbols of hope and they're symbols of strength. They just kind of stand there and say, try to knock me down. I'm not going away. (laughs) You know, and it gives Mm -hmm. people hope in rough times. Scott Brown, president of Friends of Sakonet Lighthouse in Rhode Island, was interviewed for episode 38. There are myriad reasons to keep this landmark and really all lighthouses up and running for future generations. I would say that really it's the romance of lighthouses, and this one in particular is undeniable. Sakonet Lighthouse is, I would say, it's as much of an iconic symbol of the Industrial Revolution today as it was when she first graced our coast just clear the civil war you know in a time when electricity and running water were just concepts i mean can you imagine the pride that rhode islanders must have experienced pulling up in their horses and buggies and coming to land's end to marvel at this technological goliath on the horizon it's got this magical beam sweeping the shore from dusk till dawn. It it must have been mind-boggling. And on a personal level, I can only equate it to the sense of wonder I felt when I was viewing the Apollo rockets in the 1960s. And, you know, here she still remains. She's still an aid to navigation and still a sight to stir the imagination. And I hope that happens for generations to come because you know better than anyone, they're not building a lot of new lighthouses. Dave Waller is the owner of Graves Lighthouse in Outer Boston Harbor in Massachusetts. An interview with him was split into episodes 60 and 61. 
thing that I'm so thrilled about is how many hands have touched this place. And, you know, it's not fair to give us all the credit here because so many people, so many talented people have touched this place from all over New England and New York uh, in terms of glassmakers and foundry casters and wood carvers and stonemasons and weavers and the list goes on and on and on and these are all not big companies these are small individual people or very very small companies and that's the way it was built the first time too rob benchley is the modern day keeper of sankety head lighthouse on nantucket island massachusetts he was interviewed for episode 81 i really believe that preserving lighthouses is uh essential it, it, it you know it's painful to see them go into disrepair or get destroyed or abandoned because it, it's a such an incredible connection not only to the past but it lighthouses are emotional they make people feel things they make people think of well days gone by but also they're a, they're a witness they're a sentinel and they appear to be everlasting although they're not but i just think that they're they're symbols of strength and longevity, and they've also saved thousands of lives. And I think that that as a background is applicable to Sankety because of the history of Nantucket and the history of shipping and whaling and everything nautical. It sort of a, stands as a link between what's going on in the ocean and what's in people's hearts. And I think lighthouses just are in people's hearts. Tim Petty president of the Greens Ledge Light Preservation Society in Connecticut, was interviewed for episode 83. Greens Ledge is a monument to that history of commerce uh, and boating, you know, that goes back to the 18th uh, century. And to lose that, you lose that piece of history. And, and then it's just a memory. And that memory fades as generations pass. And so what we have felt from when we got started with this is that Green's Ledge will, the memory will not fade. It's going to be standing. You know, that's what we've set out to do. Before any, a drop of paint was applied, we wanted to make sure that this structure would not come down like Old Orchard and, and so many others. What it means to the community is a lot. And, I, and I've said often that it reflects on us to see that standing and, um, and reflects positively on us as a community that we value our history. I spoke with Ford Reiki, owner of Halfway Rock Lighthouse in Maine's Casco Bay for episode 21. Now that you've gotten so deeply uh, involved with, with the lighthouse, and you've uh, immersed yourself in the, the lighthouse preservation community. You've seen uh, how, what a big community that is in this, in this country. I think you've gotten a, a feeling for that. What is it about lighthouses? Why do you think people are so drawn to lighthouses? Everything about them is romantic. You know, if you're, if you're interested in history or you're interested in architecture, interested in construction, they, had a, they, they played a crucial role in seagoing traffic at a point in time when it's all we had. So I think you more, the more I've learned about, and I'm, I'm a history buff like you, the more I've learned about lighthouses, the more I've come to appreciate them. Many of the people I've interviewed have spoken about their love for the lighthouse that they're working to preserve and the reasons for that attachment. 
Terry Roden was a Coast Guard keeper at Little River Light Station in Maine years ago, and in recent years he's returned as the caretaker. An interview with Terry was featured in episode 25, and joining us for the interview was Bob Trapani Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. If once you come here and see the beauty of uh, my front yard is here, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. Everybody that comes here, they don't want to leave either. You know, they hate to think that they got to go, go back. You know, it, it grows on you. Well, I think that's a great point. You know, we have a lighthouse here, of course, and that's a primary attraction for people. But it's so much more than that. When you see all these guests, there's a lot of emotion. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are, are crying when they have to leave. There are just some of the life-changing it is. Uh, things that can happen at a place like this. And it's not just about the lighthouse. And that's the beautiful thing is this is really a one-of-a-kind experience. Right. I'm just fortunate. I'm so fortunate to, be, you know, to have a wife to let me do this. One of these days is going to come to an end. I don't know when. I, I, I lived all winter long dreaming about being back here again in the spring. Desiree Hevero is the current caretaker at East Brother Island Light Station in California. I interviewed her for episode 94. I'm going to get all emotional. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's understandable. I've found that it gives me an incredible overwhelming sense of gratitude and appreciation that I am here. I have this opportunity. You know, we opened the bed and breakfast in 1980 and it's always been sort of a, a place where you're, you're going to work if you're going to live here. You know, you're going to be the keeper. You've got the guests to take care of. I'm the first person in decades to, to just be here keeping it taking care of it, watching it, living here, enjoying it, talking to the seagulls and the, and the, you know, the birds and the, I'm so grateful. I interviewed Dan Oginski, president of the North Manitou Shoal Lighthouse in Michigan for episode 91. It's such a unique experience. It's an offshore lighthouse. And when you walk around the deck, you get a 360 view of Lake Michigan, the Manitou Islands, Sleeping Bear Dunes. It's so amazing. And I love it so much. And it was a dream of mine, actually, to um, spend a night on the lighthouse, and, and I hope to do it more. But I realized a dream this summer. I had this vision in my head where we'd, uh, at some point, spending the night at the lighthouse, have a couple of uh, lawn chairs and set them on the deck and play some music and watch a sunset over the Manitou Islands. We got a chance to do that this summer, and, and it was amazing. So there's, there's so many reasons that this is a cool thing to do. For episode 77, I interviewed Lee Radzak, the longtime resident caretaker at Split Rock Light Station in Minnesota, along with his successor, Hayes Scriven. You're walking the same sidewalks the keepers and their families walk, climbing the same, same stairs into the lighthouse, and to sit on your front porch there and know that the keepers and their families sat there. Uh, looking at the exact same view and the gravy on top is living on a cliff 130 feet above Lake Superior and having that, having both the lighthouse, but especially the lake right there all the time is pretty special. You can feel that history like around you. You can, you can feel the, the people that have come before you. There, there's a feeling about it that, that stuff happened here and it mattered. And, and that I'm continuing that, that tradition and the staff is continuing that tradition. 
Chuck Clark is on the board of directors of the Friends of Point Betsy Lighthouse in Michigan. I spoke with him in episode 64. Well, I tell you, as your life goes on, you have your ups and downs of your job or your challenges of your job. And when you drive out on Point Betsy Road and you come over the hill and you see the buildings and the corner, every single time it brings a smile to your face. So it just kind of lightens your your life and... uh, uh, it's been that way for 20 years for me, just about, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to go out and see and see uh, improve over the years and restore it for uh, the public to enjoy. Richard Skidmore has been the longtime caretaker, or modern-day keeper, of Gayhead Lighthouse in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. My interview with him was in episode 59. What do you enjoy most about your work at the Gayhead Lighthouse? Just being there. It's just, uh, you know, that's the place that thousands of people come every year to go see. But I'm there because I can. um, I've got the key, and I can be there whenever I want. I'm just a lucky guy. There have been way too many interviews to mention here, and I've enjoyed every minute of every single one of them. It's been such a pleasure meeting so many dedicated people. I've met some in person, others by phone, Skype, or Zoom, but I feel like we're all friends. We're all on the same team in the battle to save an important piece of our history and culture. My third question to my co-hosts, Michelle and Cindy, was do you think we should continue doing this podcast and why or why not? Here's Michelle's answer. Oh, absolutely. I think that a lot of people really enjoy this podcast. We may not have hundreds of thousands of listeners, but we will someday. That's my hope anyways, if we keep doing them. And I think it just it's a great way for people that love lighthouses to learn more about them. You and I discussed this before we started recording today. Even when you know a lot about lighthouses, there's still more to learn. Mm-hmm. You can't know everything about every lighthouse. So, I yeah, I just think it's great, and I hope we really do continue them. And here's Cindy's answer to, do you think we should continue doing this podcast? There's absolutely a place for this podcast in the podcast world. And I think that the listeners who have, you know, sort of let you know and and given us uh, reviews, they've sort of, they've spoken. This is a really neat topic that no one else is really covering. And so, yeah, I say absolutely. It's really a sort of a niche podcast but there are lots of those Mm -hmm. there's there's something for everyone so for as far as lighthouse people go yes absolutely but also just to build on what we were talking about a minute ago to keep talking about the history in order to preserve is so important and i think this is a really fun way of doing that it wouldn't be fair to ask cindy and michelle those three questions without answering them myself so here goes First, what is my favorite lighthouse? It depends on my mood. When you ask me that question, really, I have a very strong attachment to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, which is 10 minutes from my home here on the New Hampshire seacoast. I've been involved in its care for about 20 years now. But I also have very strong feelings for Boston Light, America's oldest light station, partly because it was the first lighthouse where I helped to give tours back in the late 1980s. And I think it's pretty hard to beat the beauty of Portland Headlight in Maine. And I love the remote lighthouses that are completely exposed to the open ocean. I love hearing firsthand stories about life at those locations. In other words, I love them all for different reasons. Second question. With everything that's going on in the world, why should people care about lighthouses? 
My feeling is that symbols of hope are needed more than ever when times get rough, and there are few better symbols of hope than lighthouses. I remember that the day after September 11, 2001, I felt I had to go somewhere that would make me feel more calm, so I went to look at Wood Island Lighthouse in Maine. People relax when they look at lighthouses. They're like visual tranquilizers, in a very positive sense. Also, lighthouses bring people together. Look at all the people sharing lighthouse photos and news all over social media, people from all over the world in all walks of life. The love of lighthouses and the effort to preserve them uh, simply bring people together in a very special way. Third question, so I think we should continue doing this podcast. I don't think it's any surprise that my answer is yes. The more I do the podcast, the more I enjoy it, and the more I see its value to the lighthouse community. I hope that many of our listeners, like me, are learning more about all kinds of lighthouse-related subjects through our interviews. I feel like we're on a journey of discovery together. I also like the fact that the podcast episodes become part of the permanent record. If someone is researching a particular lighthouse or lighthouse-related subject in the future, it's my hope that they might find a podcast episode that will be helpful to them. So I have every intention of doing Lighthearted as long as I can. I welcome input and ideas. You can contact me at jeremy at uslhs.org. The title of this podcast is Lighthearted, and the idea is that it's about people who have lighthouses in their hearts. But I want to do something now that is in the spirit of the usual meaning of lighthearted. People often say a person has a great laugh. Well, my co-host, Cindy Johnson, not only has a great laugh, she has many different great laughs. Here's your proof. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh. <laughs> 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 to read all the <laughs> yada, yada, yada. for the just for folks visiting the seacoast of new hampshire please check out our website for the portsmouth harbor lighthouse which is portsmouthharborlighthouses.org no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Keep, Keep a, a good, good light. light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's my turn. <laughs> okay. <Very good>. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Along with that, that sounds really weird. <laughs> <laughs> There are way too many people to thank, and I'm afraid I'll omit people who deserve thanks, but I'm going to try anyway. Thanks to U.S. Lighthouse Society Executive Director Jeff Gales for his unwavering help and support for Lighthearted. Thanks to everyone with the U.S. Lighthouse Society, especially Tom Tagg, Tom Wheeler, Jerry Margie and Cassandra Rowland, and all the other staff and volunteers who have been so helpful. Thanks to Bob Trapani Jr., the Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, for his help in several episodes and for all his support and friendship. Thanks to Joe Rivers for the music. Thanks to Mike Leonard for his excellent segments on photography tips, to Ralph Krugler 
for his fascinating segments on Florida Lighthouse history, and to Dwight Berry for his fun segments on visiting lighthouses. Thanks to John Hopp and all the people who have made excellent suggestions for interviews and segments. Sincere thanks to the men and women of the United States Coast Guard who have been so helpful, not only with this podcast, but with so many things I've been involved with over the years. Big thanks to my unbelievably terrific co-hosts, Michelle Jewell Shaw and Cindy Johnson. Thanks also to the others who have served as co-hosts, Rob Apps and my wife, Charlotte Ruskowski. Thanks to everyone I've interviewed for Lighthearted. I feel kinship with every one of you, and you've taught me so many things about lighthouses and about life. I'm very grateful. And finally, a huge thank you to each and every person who has listened. It goes without saying that the podcast would be nothing without you. I love hearing from you. Again, you can email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. As always, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Keep a good light. Keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine